Hi, Cherise here with a special announcement. You can now enjoy select episodes of Detailed in video form. That's right. Detailed is now available on RCAT's YouTube channel. Now, you may be thinking, I already listened to the podcast. No need to watch it on YouTube. Well, trust me, if you don't want to miss out, even if you're an avid listener of the podcast, the video format is a completely different experience. Not only is it like hanging out with us, but you also get to hear parts of the conversation that were left on the cutting room floor. You can also see the photos, drawings, and video as we discuss the incredible projects that are featured. Come join us on YouTube. Follow the link in our show notes, and let's get into the details. This is an original podcast by RCAT. Try the number one most used website for finding building product information and save time and money. No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. We're sort of going through the rigor of sort of saying, okay, how does this moment impact that passenger and how can we make it better, you know, or things that we do to try and make sure that we're covering, you know, all the possible users and constituencies. And then when it comes to the retail and, and food and beverage program as well, what are the range of services and amenities that we should be offering from children to older people to pets? This is Detailed, an original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Sharice Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting, and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. Welcome to Detailed. The voice you heard in our intro is my guest, Mark Husser, managing partner at Grimshaw in New York, with offices also in Los Angeles, London, Paris, Dubai, Melbourne, Sydney, and Auckland. Mark's career at Grimshaw began in 1997 with the practice's first project in the United States, the Donald Danforth Plant Science Center. He then helped establish the New York office, where he is now the managing partner. Among other projects, Mark was a key part of the design team for the Experimental Media and Performing Arts Center, MPAC, in Troy, New York, and he led the Queens Museum of Art and New York University Master Plan projects. Mark's work focuses on the application of environmental design technologies on building projects where energy, materials, and resource consumption are key design drivers. His architectural approach involves supplying the highest level of available technology to improve the social and environmental effectiveness of buildings. As an active member of the design industry, he is a frequent guest critic and lecturer at several schools of architecture and has been a guest presenter at various sustainable design symposia. The project we are chatting about today is the Newark Liberty International Airport Terminal A in, you guessed it, Newark, New Jersey. But before we get started, don't forget to take a look at the project photos and drawings as you listen along. 
You can click the link in our show notes or visit www.rcat.com slash podcast. Straddling the boundary between the cities of Newark in Essex County and Elizabeth in Union County, New Jersey, sits the Newark Liberty International Airport. Originally built in 1928, the facility has and continues to undergo a tremendous evolution. To give some context of the parties involved, we have to start just a bit earlier, when the Hudson and East Rivers were bustling with maritime activity. Early on, there was very little cooperation between New York and New Jersey, and the two states frequently fought over jurisdiction rights on the Hudson River. After years of political negotiation, New York and New Jersey received consent from Congress in 1921 to form an interstate agency to develop and modernize the entire port district to improve commerce and trade. That agency, the Port of New York Authority, was given a broad mandate to develop and modernize the entire port district. During the post-war era, one of the first major projects for the Port Authority was to, through a lease agreement, take responsibility for the region's three largest airports, Newark, LaGuardia, and New York International. Since assuming operations of the three airports, the Port Authority has invested billions of dollars in capital improvements in each of them. New York metropolitan area is the, is the busiest airspace on the planet Earth, and it's only getting busier. All three major airports are projecting you know, very significant passenger numbers up to 2050 and beyond, which is going to require a great deal more capacity in the air traffic, in the air side of airports, as well as in the terminal facilities. And a lot of those facilities are very antiquated. Uh, you know, Newark was built in the early 70s, so it's over 50 years old. Airplanes were very different then. The number of passengers were very different then. So this project actually began, gosh, we were involved since 2008, originally with an entirely different team doing a plan for a new Terminal A at Newark. At that time, it was going to be a 45-gate international terminal. By the time we finished that program, there just wasn't that much money in the coffers, and it, it turned into a primarily domestic terminal. What's happening in many of the airports is, you know, the space is constrained. So as the desire and the need increases, what tends to happen is the airports tend to upgauge aircraft which increases capacity. So that's really what led to it. And the Port Authority you know, has been pursuing this program for quite some time. And then it went through three iterations of procurement after we were involved in 2008. We actually did the, it was called the Sustainable Airport of the Future, how to make a sustainable airport given all of the demands that an airport has. And then it went through a separate procurement process where another team worked on it for three or four years and then yet another one where it was worked on for three or four years. And then finally, it came out in 2017 as a design-build procurement, at which point we teamed with Construction Consortium to pursue the project. The new Terminal A is a centerpiece of an airport-wide renaissance. The next phase of Newark Liberty's transformation 
will be developed through the EWR Vision Plan, a comprehensive development strategy through 2065 to accommodate future growth, identify opportunities for enhancing sustainability and resiliency, and improving the travel experience at Newark Liberty International Airport. It did kind of take, I think, other, you know, later evolution of, of airport infrastructure in other parts of the world to learn just how important they are. You know, Schiphol Airport was probably one of the early ones to really start implementing, I would say, alternative amenities into the airport experience. And Schiphol's very interesting. You know, they do 70 million passengers there and it's a it's a small country. They actually, you know, it's, it's a 70% transfer airport, but it brings enormous revenue and accessibility to their businesses globally. You can actually fly from Schiphol to more airports in the UK than you can from any other UK airport. And it's largely because they were, you know, early adopters, I would say pioneers in really enhancing the passenger experience there. But you see it in airports across the world, in, in Korea, at Inchon, or in at Hamad in Qatar or in Dubai, where the airports are developed almost with a, a sense of nationalist uh, pride, and they are loaded with amenities, and they're sources of kind of uh, inspiration for their, you know, they're, they're almost like, you know, some of them are obviously have the advantage of having sovereign funds that build them, where they can sort of invest perhaps a lot more than we can, which are more commercially driven. But, but there has been a sea change in the way that we think about that from having the small grab and go coffee shop to having lots of food and beverage choices, having, as you say, lots of amenities for people to take advantage of. But when you have, in this case, for instance, we have 13.6 million passengers a year that we've designed for, that's a lot of captured audience. And so I think the commercial side of people who run airports have gotten a lot more sophisticated to understand the value of that as well. The $2.7 billion terminal redevelopment program to modernize and replace Terminal A includes four main elements. Redesigned roadways with eight new bridges, 140 acres of airfield paving, a 2,700 space public parking facility, and the new 1 million square foot, 33 gate Terminal A building. Part of the story starts with the history of Newark Airport with the three existing terminals that were done there in the early 70s, which are, you know, very heavy in situ concrete construction. Actually, I have a huge appreciation for those buildings, very aspirational at the time they were done and have served, you know, the community and the airport very well. But, you know, the industry has changed, the aircraft has changed, you know, the need for, you know, higher floor to floor heights and the baggage handling systems are a lot more sophisticated and security obviously after 9-11 is entirely different than it was in this country before that. So security drives a great deal of the terminal design. But the aspiration was to have a modern terminal that is you know, world-class in the sense of passenger wayfinding, passenger processing, passenger experience with all of the amenities that you find in, in contemporary airports around the world. Because we were the early adopters of, you know, commercial aviation in this country, we built all of our infrastructure much earlier than much of the rest of the world. And so now uh, other places in the world, mainly Asia, Middle East, and so forth, have brand new gleaming, you know, airport terminals, lots of retail and entertainment and uh, lots of amenities. 
and ours are kind of, you know, antiquated. And so there is a kind of a huge modernization that's going on across the country because all of our buildings are kind of reaching a point where they're no longer uh, effective and they certainly aren't imbued with all of those qualities. So the aspirations were that, you know, to create a great passenger experience, a really clear wayfinding, you know, light, bright, open environments, things that are sort of, you know, architecturally stimulating, powerful, that speak to the aspirations of the community and also offer a lot of those kind of softer touch amenities, lots of local art, local food and culture embedded into the experience. You know, because part of it, you know, these buildings can be very anonymous. And I would say in the old days, uh, they were seen more as a piece of infrastructure than a piece of sort of civic architecture or, you know, something that was driven by more of a hospitality attitude. And what we're seeing in, in airport design is that, you know, there's a, there's a lot more creature comfort and hospitality focus in terms of the choices of food and beverage or uh, different types of amenities or, you know, children's play areas or interactive zones or the integration of art and branding or three-dimensional media in the passenger experience. So all of those things were, you know, aspirations from the beginning and ultimately embedded in the, in the terminal project. So we're really happy with the result there and under a design-build type of procurement, which, you know, came with its challenges. Design-build is a construction method and process where the design and construction services are contracted by a single entity known as either the design-builder or design-build contractor. In terms of the product for the cost, it was a great success. Yeah. And also the schedule. And bear in mind that this actually was built during the COVID period. So there were some setbacks because of COVID, but it was a very aggressive schedule and a very prescribed budget that was, you know, was essentially a hard build design, a hard bid design build. So I think from the client's perspective, it was very successful. There are different forms of design build, as you know, there's progressive design build and different sort of levels of risk thresholds for the various parties that are there and different places in the country and in the world, in fact, use kind of different forms of procurement. In Europe, a lot of the infrastructure projects that we do are more like a progressive design build where we would have been engaged to some degree and gotten so far down the design and then ultimately novated to a construction consortium and then sit under their contract for the delivery. So there are different methods of, you know, different types of structures for this, but it is a method that uh, owners are, are seeing more value in, or I would say more predictability. You know, it was a very protracted competition stage uh, where we're, you know, doing design proposals and working with the contractor and working with the owner to get feedback and then ultimately leads to a, you know, a, a submission and a winning team. Once that happens, there's an extremely aggressive design and construction schedule. In this case, I think it was originally 39 months for a 1 million square foot, you know, $1.5 billion terminal. And so it's extremely aggressive. And so the challenge is, uh, as I said earlier, the steel was procured very early on. And so there was under a normal design sequence, you know, you would have, you know, you do concept design, then you have schematic design, you would have the ability to massage all the systems and, you know, all of those various things that have to work their way in mechanical, electrical, structural, with structural baggage handling systems, which are 
extremely complex to kind of adjust as you go. Then you go into design development and then you start maybe procuring and after contract documents that's out of the window. So you're, you're working almost in fixed constraints from the day, from the first moment. So that can be very challenging from a coordination point of view, but it also is, you know, I think you just, we, we just have to change our mindset and say, these elements are fixed. So what would you do if you were working in an existing building and it were, you know, it was taken down to structure, but you couldn't change the structure. How would you solve that problem? And so that sort of becomes the mindset for how you, how you progress the work. And the other thing I would say is a lot of the work is sort of has to be procured slightly out of sequence. So out of sequence with a normal design process. And so that's something that presents challenges and coordination with things where you might have procured, say, your, your backup system for your curtain wall, but you actually haven't resolved the exact curtain wall configuration at this stage or really resolve the loading of the curtain wall between, you know, blast loading, wind loading, or, or whatever it may be. And so you're having to make uh, adjustments after things have been procured with those trade contractors. But it's not to say it's not a negative thing. It's just a different way of working. Design build can be appropriate for large, fast-tracked projects, but it hasn't been as common as you would think, even for airports. But that is changing. That is a genuine interest, in this case of the Port Authority, to bring sort of private sector knowledge into the public building industry and and bring those lessons. How can you get it done faster? How can you get it done more effectively and maintain quality? And it forces different ways of thinking about traditional roles. And we tend to work a lot more with trade contractors in a sort of design assist or type relationship and, and highly acceler- accelerated packages. And in, in this case, actually, you know, the contractor, in order to meet the schedule, basically used our competition drawings, you know, early stage drawings to put in a mill order for the steel, which means you're basically designing around existing conditions, you know, going into a, a new building project. But so it forces a sl- slightly different way of working. Accelerated delivery, particularly on complex buildings, requires a talented and collaborative team. We also, you know, kind of shared our our vision and our progress on the whole room designs and on the commercial designs with the Port Authority and then also with Grimshaw to make sure they are aware of what's happening in the building. And we they also made us aware of certain challenges we might ride, run into, you know, like understanding the building heights, understanding the topography of the building. And this was a very critical element to really make sure that we are all aligned and we understand what each party is doing so that we can ensure we get rid of obstacles that are in the way early on in the process so that we don't have to deal with them once the building is actually under construction. So this was a very collaborative process that was facilitated by the Port Authority to make sure all the different teams are on the same page. This is Elizabeth Saylor, Chief Commercial Officer for Munich Airport, New Jersey, which is a subsidiary of the Global Munich Airport International, or MAI, in Germany. Munich Airport, New Jersey, LLC, was formed by MAI to contract management services with the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey for the new Terminal A at Newark Airport. Services include operations, technical terminal maintenance, and managing the retail and catering space. 
We had design meetings, design committee meetings, where we discussed about various aspects of the project, looked at different materials, at different elements we would bring into the terminal to also understand, you know, how do we clean a certain floor tile? How do we work with different design elements in the terminal once then it, it gets into operation later on? There is no shortage of consultants. You know, it does take a village and that is, you know, half the challenge, uh, or at least a significant part of the challenge is the coordination effort of all those different disciplines uh, into a, you know, a holistic building project. But yeah, there are AV, IT, security consultants, uh, consultants who deal specifically with security equipment. There's the airside operations consultants and loading bridges, and there's just no, no end. Uh, it's a huge industry, and there are, uh, you know, true expertise out there in all of those things. So part of the, the role, you know, that we have is to coordinate and, and direct those consultants into, you know, a singular kind of solution. But yes, it, and the, chain, the technology has changed very, very quickly in security. I mean, you remember the pre-9-11 days where you could arrive at an airport 15 minutes before your flight and walk straight through onto your gate. And there was, you could have, you know, non-ticketed passengers on the, going down the concourse with you and those kinds of things. But now obviously security is, is much more important and particularly now touchless security and the use of uh, biometric type security systems, retinal scanning and so forth, you know, clean and secure type technologies, lots of different scanning type of equipment there as well. And part of the challenge has always been, you know, how do you do that effectively, expeditiously, and as uninvasive as possible? And so technology is evolving very quickly to make that better and better. I think there's still a ways to go in terms of improvement. But that's also, you know, one of the, I would say, one of the most high stress moments of the passenger experience, where passengers tend to experience the most anxiety. Check-in and ticketing is one thing, but going through security we try and make it as comfortable as possible, spacious as possible, as understandable in terms of where you're going next and how the process works. And then the, what we call the sort of recomposure period, uh, making sure that when you come out of security, you have an immediate understanding of where you're going next and also some degree of comfort that you're near your gate. So having a view over the next environment that you're about to encounter where you can survey it and also having views to the air side where you see gates and airplanes makes you feel a little bit more comfortable to, you know, spend some time enjoying the other amenities that are now being provided in the terminal. As we've noted, a major project goal was to elevate the passenger experience for millions of travelers every year. From my perspective, the delivery of this program has really one of um, the most exciting things I guess I've done so far in my career. It's been a very challenging, especially, you know, it's also, it all happened also during COVID, was a very challenging undertaking, but at the same time also very satisfying. So, you know, seeing Terminal come to life. And for me, the big element of that was really also the partnership with the different partners. So this includes, of course, first and foremost, the Port Authority, who are the owner of the building, who also kind of set the framework on what they want to see, what they want to expect. So they also gave us the task to make this a New Jersey terminal. So really to set it apart also from uh, JFK and LaGuardia to give it give it its own identity. And this really was the fun part. And I think 
bringing all the partners together, including the base building architect Grimshaw, including our tenants and creating a joint vision of what, what this terminal should look like and which New Jersey elements we bring in and also working with the different partners to make sure all those elements, you know, have the same look and feel. They don't feel like different parties haven't worked on different projects, but really bringing everything together in one big yeah effort and under one umbrella under one vision this was really a very uh, rewarding process replacing aging and outdated airport infrastructure the newark terminal a boasts modern check-in and security screening technology as well as an abundance of retail restaurants and lounges providing a seamless and comfortable traveling experience it's the the first place that you encounter and the last place that you leave from. And so, and that means that, you know, both of those journeys are very important to think about. What is the perception of an arriving person here, perhaps for the first time, but also what is the perception and experience of someone who's departing from here and going away? So on one hand, you have the excitement of the journey. And then, you know, on the other hand, you have the, you know, the sense of arrival but for some could be the, the excitement of a new place that they're coming to. So you have both those things happening, both in the arrivals and the departure sequences. So we do a thing called journey mapping, where we, we think about every possible passenger type that there is, and then look at physically every step in the journey, every moment of transaction or transition from the perspective of each of those individual passenger types, and then say, how can we make this better for that passenger? Right. So you've got business passengers, you've got families, holiday passengers, you've got elderly people with reduced mobility, sort of going through the rigor of sort of saying, okay, how does this moment impact that passenger and how can we make it better? You know, or things that we do to try and make sure that we're covering, you know, all the possible users and constituencies. And then when it comes to the retail and, and food and beverage program as well. What are the range of services and amenities that we should be offering from children to older people to pets? I think the delivery of the program is, is quite unique because we, as I said, we, we, meant we developed this overall New Jersey vision of this terminal and what it should look like. And I think it's quite a unique approach that we try to really not only use our vision that we had, it's called the journey of surprises, because we found out that many people don't know all the fascinating details that New Jersey actually has to offer. So we had a lot of people who said, wow, I did not know that about New Jersey. And this is exactly the feeling that we wanted to bring into the terminal. So we have a lot of uh, surprising little elements in the terminal. I think we have been quite successful to translate this journey of surprises across different touch points. And this included a lot of the work that the base building and Grimshaw did, for example, the restrooms. So they developed the restrooms as, first of all, they have different color schemes that match with other elements of the terminal. So we have, an, have a coast area where the bathrooms are blue. We have a garden state area where the bathrooms are green, which then again matches with the whole rooms, which have green elements in that sector or blue elements in some other sector. So we really tried to implement the division across those different touch points from the commercial program to the hold rooms, to the bathrooms, to the art program, 
kids play areas are New Jersey inspired. So really having this integrated approach across various areas that also various parties have been responsible for. I think that's a very interesting story that Newark Airport MLA has to tell. And uh, I'm quite proud of this level of collaboration between the, the different parties and the different partners that have that the Port Authority has enabled and that we have been able to work in, so to work in that environment, to make that happen, actually. I think it's quite extraordinary. The elegant yet striking design, with its soaring cantilevered roof lines, welcomes both arriving and departing passengers. The modern steel and glass building provides abundant natural light through diamond-shaped skylights and uncluttered facades. You know, we felt that this wanted to be a, a very modern, contemporary, forward-looking, progressive terminal, uh, both in its function, uh, but also in its architectural expression. But at the same time, you know, it sits alongside for the foreseeable future with the three other terminals that are newer from the mid-century, you know, from 1970s and so forth on. And so we wanted it to relate so it still behaves as a part of a family of terminal projects. It doesn't feel completely novel or foreign, but does, does set a trajectory for the future. And, you know, from a material perspective, using materials that perhaps le have less carbon implications of not we didn't use uh, reinforced concrete we used um, you know steel and, and other materials natural woods and so forth so from that perspective you know some of the features there are the sort of extreme overhangs or cantilevers that cover the departures curb and the departures walkway making sure you know there's a, a level of service there keeping people dry new jersey weather can be quite challenging at times and also being very expressive in, in terms of the way the roof extends out way beyond the, the curtilage of the interior environment. And then when you go in, I would say the most distinguished quality of the terminal throughout is the natural light. You know, the other terminals are really quite dark, very heavy, opaque. And so we had this concept to have a lot of skylights that bring in natural light, but filtered through another ceiling layer a layer of louvers essentially that sort of reflect and refract the light into the space very evenly, but at the same time allow some direct light to hit the floor so that you can get a get a sense of the, the time of day and the passage of the sun, but also this great sort of ambient light feeling. You know, very generous, lofty space and ticketing so that from the moment you enter, you understand the room, you understand the hall, how it's laid out where the ticketing counters are, and exactly where security is uh, without ever having to look at a sign or, or ask anyone. And then moving straight into security with very efficient ASLs or automated security lanes, which are much faster. And then moving into the recomposure area with a great view over the food beverage retail area and, and views to the, to the air side. I'd say the other thing that we've tried to do is soften the material. So as I talked about journey mapping, you know, wherever there's a moment of, I call it transaction or transition, is a, is a sort of a stress inflection in the passenger experience. So in those locations, we try and introduce sort of more natural materials, organic materials, biophilia, those kinds of things. So you'll see the use of natural wood and, you know, lighter tone wood, it's sort of but reduces in a way that and planting can reduce stress in the passenger. 
So we in, incorporate those types of materials wherever those those moments of transition. And then I would say in the in the air side, again, embedding the experience with lots of local amenities. There's a huge interest in making this airport this airport terminal really representative of Newark and not just New York and the region, but specifically to highlight things that are specific to Newark and even locally in Newark. So our the operator, uh, Munich Airport Group, who were selected to operate the terminal, were also very interested in this. And so they were able to get a lot of local chefs and a lot of, a lot of local cuisine into the airport instead of a, a single kind of uh, provider where the food and offerings become fairly generic. And, and even the retail, a lot of it comes from local retailers and so forth. Uh, so making it local. The other thing that we did was look at you know, the sort of overriding themes about in New Jersey. So this concept of fantastic first, most people don't realize a lot of things happen for the first time in New Jersey. <laughs> the light bulb, you know, Edison Studio and, you know, all of these early inventions. And so we actually use that as a theme we brought in through called Moment Factory, who actually came in under Munich, you know, with uh, some of our suggestions to engage in using digital art to enhance the experience and even interactively to develop content for the terminal. So actually, while you're waiting in security line for uh, to go through security, there's a large, essentially digital billboard, which has content about the history of New Jersey or, or certain unique aspects of New Jersey. That's, a, you know, it's sort of entertaining to watch while you're waiting in line in the queue. And then when you come out into the large retail hall, there's the uh, the Forest of Firsts, which is a digital story of all of the kind of first inventions in New Jersey. And you know, so part of it is to support New Jersey and say, oh, you know, there's some really interesting things in New Jersey I wasn't aware of. And then there was a huge local artist program as well, where, you know, commissioned pieces of art are integrated throughout the, the, the terminal. And then one of the things that we did as well is looked at, you know, how can we add a little bit of that aspect? Of New Jersey, but also make it a little bit uh, playful. So in the restrooms, for instance, as you go from the center of the terminal out to the piers, and there are three piers or concourses, there are different toilet rooms, and each of them has a different theme based around four themes. They go from community to Jersey Shore or the coastline to the woodlands, pine barrens, different aspects of New Jersey with a lot of photography. And that photography is actually lined inside of the toilet stalls. So you don't see it until you open the toilet stall and then there's the, a whole sort of mural around you uh, that's related to one of those themes. So that there's a bit of variety. If you're flying it through the airport, you'll have a slightly different experience each time you go, if you go to a different part of the terminal. One component that has always been a pet peeve for me in airport design is the waiting area or hold room. The team had a varied approach for Terminal A. So in contemporary airports, usually the hold rooms are now employing lots of different types of seating. And it's what we did at Newark as well. And this is, again, ultimately delivered by the operator in this case. But uh, we helped them certainly conceptualize how that seating could be arranged. So we have everything from some of those traditional type of seats, all these very comfortable and then we have mushroom chairs, we have chaise lounges, which are sort of communal. We have individual sort of uh, soft ball seats that kids can kind of sit on. 
And so there are a lot of different variety in the way that the seating is done so that people can occupy it in the way that they want to, rather than being forced into a particular way of being uh, or sitting in a, what we call a hold room or where you're waiting for your airplane, a waiting room. So that does have a space um, requirement. You know, so it takes slightly more area to be able to accomplish that, but it's a, it's a much better passenger experience. Another design consideration is unexpected operational challenges that an airport may experience. You really have to think about what we call the ROPs or the irregular operations situations where like we're experiencing just over the last few days where we have a huge amount of canceled flights, a lot more people in the terminal than you would normally have, uh, you know, happens here with snowstorms and everything else is what do you do? You know, how do you, you know, service that group or that community in that situation? So having more variety, having more space, knowing and having a plan for how you're going to deal with the irregular operations is is an important part of the design as well. Airports are quite challenging projects to design and build. Through the process, you're bound to uncover just a few lessons learned. These are, you know, very large projects. They take a huge amount of people, uh, a lot of coordination. I think on this one, the biggest lesson was the need to collaborate um, even earlier with all the stakeholders that are going to be engaged. You know, you, you have you know, lots of interested parties. You have the airport, you have the airlines who are actually going to be using it, you have the passengers. But you have also, from the construction point of view, you have the, the contractor and all their subcontractors. But then you have the layer of the operations team. In this case, it's Munich. And then with them, you know, came all of the retail and food and beverage uh, program. And then you have the advertising contracts, you know, so you have all these different stakeholders that get engaged in the process at one time or another. I think the, the biggest lesson for me on this one is, is having those stakeholders engaged much earlier in the design process and in the construction process so that you can integrate everything they're doing on the retail food and beverage and, you know, sort of fit outside into the base construction. So having it integrated so that, you know, you're constructing at one time and not uh, having to go back and retrofit a lot of things. I truly enjoyed this conversation with Mark. I hope this episode sparks a new idea, helps you solve a problem that you've been working through, or inspires the mark that you want to leave on this world on your path to world domination. You know, we really do want to do buildings and master plans that truly positively impact the communities that we work in. The buildings actually offer something in terms of experience, you know, for a broad spectrum of the society. And, you know, we do lots of different buildings and different typologies. And that we do things that are actually contributing positively to the environment. But at the end of the day, it also comes down to just generally feeling good about the experiences that you're having. As again, my founding partner, Nick Grimshaw, says, you know, providing some kind of joy in the everyday experience, sort of lifting that everyday experience into something, you know, slightly elevated and hopefully from time to time inspiring. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. 
While you're there, take a look around RCAT.com. For over 30 years, RCAT has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try RCAT and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.